0: Luke 18, verse 35, begins. It says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Have you ever seen a blind person begging? Raise your hand if you've seen a blind person begging. Yeah. Yeah. Very few. This was a common occurrence in Israel. It was a common occurrence in, in many parts of the world. But as we led, read last week, Jesus is approaching well Jesus is approaching Jericho, and Jesus' destination is Jerusalem, where he will be delivered to the Gentiles, he will be mocked, he will be insulted, he's going to be spit upon, flogged, and crucified. And then he will rise again. And so Jesus has been making his way towards Jerusalem since chapter 9, which is about a a several months journey for him. It's been a little longer for us. Headed southeast, he's he's going through Perea on the east side of the Jordan to avoid Samaria. And then as he travels south, he arrives near Jericho and he's going to cut back across over the Jordan. And then he's going to spend a couple days in Jericho. Uh, which we will study today, Jesus will then ascend six hours up to Jerusalem, uh, up meaning up uh, in, in height, which is about 15 miles northeast of Jericho. And something to note about Jericho is it's 846 feet below sea level, and so the climate is pretty warm there. It's just above north of the Dead Sea. And because of the warm climate, crops like almonds and date palms and balsam, and uh, which was uh, which ancient writers attributed to both medical and aromatic qualities, you know, had a real great scent to it. All those grew there. When I was in, we just drove through Southern California on our way to go see uh, relatives in San Diego. We drove through Central Valley, and it's a real warm climate. And, and, and we were driving, and it was just weird. I think the smell of of almonds. Uh, was it almonds or what was it? Yeah, it was almonds, these almond trees just as far as the eye could see. And I'd never seen that before, but it was, of course, it's really hot there and there's the almonds. But uh, so so much of Jericho uh, was, was just inundated with these date palms and stuff. It was called the city of palms. And by others, it was called a city of, of, of uh, aroma or fragrance. And so there was just a, there was a lot of... Uh, There was a lot of agriculture going on. And remember, it was an agrarian society. That was the main way people made money. And so along with the warm climate and profitability came wealth. And so where there was wealth in these ancient cities, there was also taxes, believe it or not. And (laughs) there are also beggars. As we're introduced to one beggar here in verse 35 where it says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. If you read Matthew's account in Matthew 20 verse 30, it tells us that there were 2 actually two blind men, uh, no doubt helping each other out of their difficult uh, situation, but Luke just focuses on one of them. And Mark's gospel in chapter 1046 identifies that man as... Bartimaeus. Remember blind Bartimaeus. The name Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Bar means son, and Timaeus means, well, it means highly prized. Most likely at the time the gospels were written sometime after this, Bartimaeus was well known within the church, and so he was named by name, and that's quite often they do because they would know about him. Um, so this beggar Bartimaeus was blind and unlike his father he was not highly prized. In the eyes of Jewish society he was a beggar and he was bl- he was blind and as we read in the other gospels accounts like in chap- uh, John chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 it says that as he that Jesus went along he saw a blind man from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. The disciples assumed that his blindness, the reason why he was under that situation, was that he was under the judgment of God because of sin, either he or his parents. And that was the common um, uh, view, the stigma that was attached to those who were blind or suffering from those things, that it was because of sin. And so not only is he suffering... Um, blindness but he's also suffering from a social stigma everybody's assuming that he is under the judgment of God and so as Jesus enters Jericho a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging and this is because obviously he could not take care of himself there were no social welfare programs and all this type of stuff that we enjoy here in America if some ailment falls upon you there's a safety net the safety net was your family For the most part, or the synagogue, and if they did not help you, you were on your own. Imagine being blind and having to fend for yourself. It says in verse 36 when when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Can you place yourself in that man's position for a minute, sitting on the roadside begging in total darkness? Hearing things, not being able to understand what's going on as the commotion is coming up to you. And he hears that commotion, and he has to rely upon others to understand what is actually going on. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And that's how they described people in those days. You know, it was Bob from Waitsburg. You know, it's Jesus of Nazareth, right? Right? And Bartimaeus responded in verse 38 and he calls out Jesus son of David have mercy upon me. Luke says he called out. Matthew's gospel uses a different word in the Greek that he screamed and we see that in the second uh in verse 38 uh, 39 there but he screamed. Can you imagine that? Jesus of Nazareth he had just raised John uh he had just raised Uh, Lazarus from the dead a short time ago. And and the news from that is, is, is going all throughout the cities. And here Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker, the great rabbi is coming through. And a blind man is sitting on the side of the road. What would you do? He musters up the loudest voice he can and he cries out into the darkness. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. He might not have even been looking in the right direction. Who knows? You know what I mean? Just crying out in his blindness. Notice that he didn't call Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He called him the Son of David. And this was a messianic title. He was ascribing that he was the Messiah. God promised to David, King David, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, saying, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to su- succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. This is the Davidic covenant, that someone from the line of David would never stop ruling. And the idea is that it would be an eternal kingdom. This was the Messiah, and Jews knew this. And they associated, the Jews associated Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the place where he grew up. But the blind man identified Jesus with the city of his birth, the city of David, Bethlehem, because Jesus was the descendant of David that was promised, the Messiah. And so blind Bartimaeus, in effect, calls out with all his might, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy upon me. Do you ever wonder what gets Jesus' attention? You know what gets God's attention? What do you do to get God's attention? Scriptures say God what? Resists the... But he gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. A helpless, blind man calling out in faith to Jesus, asking for mercy. I remember when I was, you know, diagnosed with cancer there, and Christine just continued played, pray to the Lord for mercy. I remember that distinctly. She wasn't running to all the medical books, she wasn't running to all those things, although she, I'm sure she researched all that stuff, but she just went to the Lord and she appealed to His mercy. She just called out for Him to be merciful. God, be merciful. I trust in Your mercy. Knowing that He is merciful. That's the nature of God. Do you know that, church? He is by nature His very being is mercy. He can't help but be merciful. Philip said to to Jesus, Hey, show us the Father. And and Jesus turns around, Hey, Philip, have I been with you so long you, you don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is the Father like? He's like the sun, exactly like the sun. He's merciful, compassionate, long-suffering. That's our God. By the way, He is absolutely just. And we can't, because we focus on one area, it doesn't mean that we let go of the others. He is all those things but I take refuge in the fact that our God is merciful, amen? And he cries out in his blindness for mercy. How many of you need the mercy of God in your life right now? How many just need to cry out, God, have mercy upon me? What's keeping you from doing it? Pride. But those who led, verse 39 the way leading the procession they rebuked him and told him to be quiet but he shouted all the more son of David have mercy on me he freaks out even more can you imagine that blind beggar side of the road Bartimaeus all the important people leading Jesus into the city and no doubt the elders are probably the elders of the city are dragging him through and Hey, this is don't look over here at that guy, but this is all this, and you know, they're just saying, Welcome to our town and all this type of stuff. And Jesus is walking, and there's a guy screaming his head off. Everybody's just like, be quiet. Don't bug Jesus. Stop it. You're judged by God. You're blind. Be quiet. But this didn't stop him. He shouted, all the more. And that's one of the characteristics of faith. Faith in God is that it perseveres. Faith doesn't just stop because someone tells you to be quiet. Look at Paul's life. All the more. He came into obstacles. He went around him because God had called him. I love that about faith. Faith. Faith perseveres, and this got Jesus' attention. Like the widow, remember that? Who did not stop praying, kept harassing the unjust judge. Faith is relentless. And that's the thing, when we put our faith in Jesus, yes, one time we are converted once and for all, our sins are forgiven, but it doesn't stop there, church. Saving faith is is faith that continues Amen. Yes, we waver in all these types of things, but and we go up and down, but it, it continues to go to the Lord. That's the faith that the, the Lord Jesus displayed, if you can put it that way. And that's Him in us. It doesn't stop. This man's faith persevered in light of the obstacles that men put in front of him. What are the obstacles between you and the Lord? Have men put obstacles between the Lord, perhaps your parents at one time, or this or that? This man persevered. Verse 40, and Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> can you imagine that? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah is taking orders. So, What, what, what can I do for you? That's the nature of the Lord. Isn't that neat? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? I love that about the Lord. And the Lord, he says there, I want to see. He replied, verse 42, and Jesus said to him, receive your your sight, your faith has healed you. Now, unfortunately, this is the word there for healed in the Greek is not Uh, Ayamai, which is the word for healed. That's what the Greek word for healed is. The word there is actually sozo, which means to be made well or saved. If you remember from a few weeks ago, it's different than healed. This word for healed is translated 93 times in the New Testament, saved. And like two times healed. So I think NIV is off on this a little bit. They're trying to do the context because he is technically healed. But other translations, you'll see it says, made well. He is made whole. And that word, sozo, is always associated with salvation. So it's not simply, I believe, that the guy just received his sight back. There's something deeper going on there. I believe his faith in the Messiah and his ability to rescue and save him was translated into salvation. Amen. Amen. So he wasn't just healed, he was made whole. How many of us are longing to be healed, but we have no interest in being made whole? That was the nation of Israel. In just a few, well, years for us, he would go to the cross, right? He would go to the cross, and as he enters Jerusalem, which we'll get into here in the next week or two, they cried out to him, "Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna." And those same people that later that week would be screaming, "Crucify him." They wanted what they wanted, not what he offered. Lord, I want to see," replied, and Jesus said to him, "Receive your sight." Your faith has healed you. You have been made well. What saves someone is faith in the Messiah, that Jesus is who the scriptures say he is, is the son of David, the one who saves us. And either we are like the crowds, the religious superficial seeker group that are about entertainment or satisfying a checkbox in our life or whatever that might be, or we are like Bartimaeus. We are desperate for God. We have a poverty in our soul. We know that we are sunk without the mercy of God. And He is it. Amen. Unless Christ saves me, I'm lost. And Bartimaeus' call was a heart cry God save. And the proof that someone is saved is what they do in their lives. Now, we can't see that transaction that happens in a soul. Amen? We can't see that. That's something God does. That's what he did with the man who was lowered down from the ceiling. He said, your sins are forgiven. Right? And the Pharisees said, well, you know, yeah, whatever. It's blasphemy, basically. You can't forgive sins. And Jesus says, to prove that his sins are forgiven, I'm going to do something in the physical, so you understand that I have authority in the spiritual, get up and walk. Take your bed and go. And he did it. And they're like, oh, so if basically if you have power over this, then what you actually said, what we can't see, actually happens. Does that make sense a little bit? And I'm trying to articulate that. But Bartimaeus was saved because of faith in the Messiah and his ability to have mercy. Upon him, And the proof that someone is saved is then in how they live their lives. That's, that's how we know. Faith without works is dead. And so verse 43 says, Immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Bartimaeus follows Jesus, praising God. And this is what happens when you are born again. When you receive Christ, when he comes and he illuminates you, he, he takes that emptiness and he fills it with himself. When he justifies you before the Father, you are given spiritual sight. You are born of the Spirit, and you immediately leave the old life of spiritual darkness, and you begin to follow Jesus, praising him, glorifying God. Amen. And this is our witness, church. This is the witness. We wonder why the church doesn't witness. I wonder if we're really born again. You know, or are we churching it? Because when we are saved, it's radical. There is a difference in our lives. We leave the old life and we begin to follow Christ. We begin to obey Him. And as people look on at that, they go, this is who you were, this is who you are. There's no way you can get from point A to point B without you being crazy. What is going on? Oh, it's Jesus. I'm born again. I'm saved. Okay, I'm staying away from you. But then they see the love. And they see the change. And they see the attitude start to adjust and all those types of things. As the Lord has taken over the helm of our hearts. And he begins to work out our salvation within us. That verse, that term, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not work to get it in. It's what's in, work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we allow the Lord to continually take over areas of our lives, being made into the image of Christ Jesus. What is true of our position starts to happen in our practice. Sanctification is the Christianese word. So Bartimaeus was saved because of faith and immediately received his sight and followed Jesus, praising the Lord. And this is our witness. Our life is our testimony, a witness to the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus, he, and, and this, is, this is the testimony that we give to people when we tell that Jesus does not ignore the cry of those who call upon him, that Jesus is compassionate, that he has power over all of our firmities and our circumstances and our sin, and that he came to save the blindness of sinners like us, amen? That's a testimony we give to the world. Look what he's done to us. Look at who he is and how he is and what he can overcome. As the former slave trader John Newton wrote, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And when Bartimaeus was transformed through faith in the Son of David, all the people saw it, and they also praised God. And so Jesus is continuing on his way through Jericho after Bartimaeus, and in chapter 19, verse 1, it says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through And now we have a second man, not a beggar, but a tax collector, a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Josephus, the historian, called Jericho the richest part of the country and labeled it a little paradise. And as I mentioned, there was wealth in Israel, and where there was wealth, there were beggars and there were taxes. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in Jericho and was also identified as wealthy. To be a tax collector in Israel was basically to be a traitor because you were working for the Romans. I like what John MacArthur says in his New Testament commentary on Luke about this. He says, the Roman occupation of Israel involved more than just a military presence. The nation was also subject to Roman taxation. The taxes in Galilee, for example, were forwarded by tax collectors to Herod Antipas and by him to Rome. Antipas sold tax franchises to the highest bidder, and such franchises were lucrative businesses. Tax collectors had a certain amount that they were required to collect, and whatever they could collect beyond that, they were permitted to keep. In addition to the poll tax on everyone, including slaves, income tax, about 1%, and land tax, one-tenth of all grain and a fifth of all wine and fruit, there were taxes on the transport of goods, letters, produce, using roads, crossing bridges, and almost anything else the rapacious, greedy minds of the tax collectors could think of. All that left, all that left plenty of room for larceny, extortion, exploration, uh, exploitation, and even loan sharking as tax collectors loaned money at exorbitant interest to those who were unable to pay their taxes. Tax collectors also employed thugs to physically intimidate People into paying and to beat up those who refused. So these were great guys. Working for the Romans, it was a racketeer, and whatever they could get above and beyond, they would do it, and they would do it. Their greed ran them. Quite a vivid description of the profession. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was at the top of the racket as a result, and he was very wealthy. And because of how tax collectors operated and the sheer wealth that they accumulated, they were barred from Jewish society. They were considered unclean. They couldn't go to church or they couldn't go to synagogue, right? And it's ironic that Zacchaeus' name means clean. It means innocent. (laughs) But he is called by name here like Bartimaeus. He was well-known probably by the time the gospels were penned in church tradition says that he was appointed bishop of Caesarea by Peter. It's amazing what God can do with us. Amen. But in verse three, it says that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And so like Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus had obstacles to seeing Jesus. For Bartimaeus, the obstacles to Christ were the crowds and the fact that he was blind. For Zacchaeus, the crowds were large and he was short. Gravity enhanced, whatever you want to call it. And both of these men did what they could in spite of their limitations uh, limitations to get Christ's attention. Bartimaeus, he yelled. Zacchaeus, he climbed. I love that. I think this is how faith works. You know, there are obstacles that we can't overcome, but we respond in in whatever way is in front of us. I think that's important to note. Some of us say we have faith in God, and yet we don't climb a tree and we don't yell. Amen? (laughs) We don't get up and do it. I want people to come to Jesus. Oh, Lord, let my neighbor come to Jesus. Lord, send someone else. Amen. Verse 5 And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And did you notice that Jesus called Zacchaeus by his name even though he had never met him? So, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. That's something about the Lord that we should probably take note of. He knows you even if you don't know him. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows you intimately. I think of Peter's, was it Peter's brother? I can't remember exactly. Nathaniel, and one of those guys. He just was, he said, I saw you under the tree, and you're an Israelite, you're zealous, you know, for the kingdom. But some people come to church to check out and see if God is real, you know? And all of a sudden, as I'm teaching or what's going on, at the end of the service, they feel betrayed. They think that, like, the person who brought them, like, texted me the information about their life and said, preach about that. <laughs> I don't know you. I'm just not that smart. God knows you. It's interesting. It's interesting. He does, and he speaks, and he calls out to come down from that tree, amen? And not only that, he's inviting himself into your life, into your home, in spite of who you are and what you've done and what people think about you. Don't you love that about the Lord? Yes, I do. Whatever situation you're in, think of the person in your life that you go, okay, that guy is ostracized in my life. God wants to come into their life, into their home. He knows them. in spite of who they are and what they've done. Because Jesus is all about saving sinners like Zacchaeus. How does he do that? He gets into their life. He brings light into the circumstance. And so Jesus says in the second half of verse 5, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus likes to invite himself over for dinner. And Zacchaeus responds to Jesus in verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Remember, Zacchaeus has been deemed unclean excommunicated in the society, and now the prominent rabbi is going to stay at his house. It is unheard of. You don't do that. And notice how the people respond, verse 7. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They were upset that Jesus, who was supposed to be a religious Jew, was going to be the guest of a sinner. In the mind of the Jew, if you came in contact with someone who was unclean, You became what? Unclean. There's only one little thing about Jesus, is that you come in contact with Jesus. What does he make you? Clean. You don't rub off onto him. He transforms you. Think of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She reached and touched the hem of his coat. She was unclean. She touched him and power went out from him. And who was tainted? No one. She was healed. When we touch Jesus, so to speak, we become clean. Have you encountered Christ? Have you reached out to him? No matter how dirty you are. Again, this is the attitude of the religious who have no relationship with God through Christ. I hope we're listening. They are concerned with appearances and formalities and rules and regulations that men have created. And Jesus wasn't going to come out unclean by this. Zacchaeus was going to be made whole. You know, the religious legalistic crowd, which we could easily become a part of, would never reach out to this man. They would never reach out. They were an obstacle in every way for this man of coming to Christ. May we have ears to hear, amen? The crowd objects. We're almost there. And they told Barnabas to be quiet. Remember that? But he screamed all the more. His faith, brothers and sisters, his faith overcame the obstacles of Jesus. And hearing the objection to the crowds, the deep displeasure, Zacchaeus doesn't get mad or discouraged or be quiet. What does he do? Rather, he responds in faith. And how does he respond? Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, here, Lord, here, and now give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, this is a public statement, I will pay back four times the amount. Imagine giving away half your possessions, and anybody you've cheated, you give back four times the amount, and all you do is cheat people. People who are ruled by greed, they just don't do that. You don't. That's the result of a person who has been born again. It's called repentance. Turning. It was a right-away thing. When we come to faith in Christ, the key, one of the key indicators that we have is, is repentance. Who we are immediately changes. How we have displayed sin in our life uh, against God is immediately confronted and we turn the other direction. That's a work of the Spirit because in our flesh we want to continue to do those things. That's why we do them. We want to do them more than we We love God or anybody else. Amen? And so when the Spirit comes and He convicts and there's this heart of repentance, when salvation comes, we're changed. And we turn, and it's night and day. Like Bartimaeus, he left the blindness, he left the road, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and now here is Zacchaeus. He repents. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come This house. How do we know that Zacchaeus was saved? Because Jesus said it. Today's salvation has come to the house because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? To save the lost. Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham ethnically, he was a descendant of Abraham technically, but that is not what saves a person. Going to church does not save a person, being raised in a Christian family does not save a person. Being the son of a preacher, a daughter of a preacher, related to, or be, living in America, or being whatever that is, that does not save a person whatsoever. The Jews had this mindset that they were because they were the people of God that somehow they were saved. Paul clears this up in Romans chapter two, verse twenty-eight through twenty-nine. Says a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. A circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, the Jews thought because they did all the outward things that they were saved, they were circumcised, they went to church on the right day, they did all that stuff. But he says those were all outward symbols of of an inward reality. Circumcision was the cutting away of the flesh, right? That's the work the Spirit does when we're born again. He cuts away the old life. That's why he repents. It's because the old life has been cut by the Spirit, something he could never do. And now he's following and walking in the Spirit. And his praise isn't from men. Oh, look, you've kept this law and you've done this thing, but his praise is from God. He has a clear conscience, Hebrews talks about. But the crowds were concerned with that outward stuff, keeping the laws so men could see that you were clean. And Paul says you can, you can be a Jew in the sense that you were focused on the outside. But God looks at the heart, a heart that has the old life of flesh cut away, being born by the Spirit. Because when a person is born again, they repent and it shows up in their lives. They turn from sin. Money is no longer Zacchaeus as God and greed wasn't, but rather pleasing the Lord. And so, obviously, here it is. I give away half. I restore everything. It's like the pearl of great price. But the crowd said that he wasn't a Jew. He was unclean, but Jesus says, you too are a true son of Abraham. You know, you you too are a son of Abraham. Not because of the change that happened outwardly, but because of the reality of what happened in his heart. He put his faith in Christ and repented of his sin. A true Jew is one who is one inwardly. He's born again. And Jesus ends the verse 10, and in closing he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to save Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus. And he overcame all the obstacles that were in between him. And they put their faith in him and they were changed and they were never the same. Jesus, the Son of Man, that term is that messianic thing in Daniel chapter 13, that that wording, the one who will rule over everlasting kingdom. He came to seek and to save. That's what was lost. Some of you are churched and you're lost. I can't read your soul. I don't know who you are. That's up to you in the spirit. Repent and believe. Put your faith in Christ Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. That's the nature of Christ. It's the nature of God that He seeks and saves that are lost. Now, real quick, church, many of us are born again. If God wants to save people, what do you think the primary means of Him saving people is or are? Who? You! You! The church, where has he placed you? He's placed you among people that are lost. Blind people, greedy, tax-collecting people, even good religious people. He puts you there, that your life would be a, a fragrance to them. That you're, the way that you respond is not like the world, that it's it's like one who's been touched by the Lord has been changed. And you have a tremendous opportunity to not be an obstacle, not be one of the crowd that tells him to be quiet and get away. But one goes, Here he is. Here he is, he's so good. And you declare his praises. And so Jesus came to seek and save lost people so that those lost people would go seek and save lost people as his spirit fills him, as his spirit fills her. Amen? And you might be going, I've got obstacles even to go share. Faith perseveres. Persevere. Trust the Lord. Pray, reach out, step. And watch your mighty, mighty, powerful God work through someone who is just nothing. And when the world sees that, they go, it ain't you. What in the world's going on? It's Him. That's God. Trust in Him. And may many people come to glory, not because of how we arrange the service and how awesome and wonderful we are, Because he is so good and he's filled the empty, the broken, the beggars, the tax collectors with his spirit. Amen? Amen. Lord God, how good you are. How good you are. That you would come and save sinners like us that all of our sin can be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that if anyone in here this morning has not surrendered and you sense the tug of the Holy Spirit upon your heart, do not reject that. Do not let any obstacle come in your way between you and Jesus, what people might think, or I was supposed to be this, or they think I'm that, or whatever, or what that might mean for your career or life choices and all that stuff. Just surrender all and give it to Jesus. I'd be happy to pray with you after service. And I understand the sensitivity and the depth of that decision. But today is the day. Come to him. So we rejoice in you, God. Do that work. In the name of Jesus, amen.